I'm very dressed very formally for this recording. <laughs> in I, I'm in my pajamas. Oh yeah, I'm in a suit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's I'm dressed as I'm in my Mr. Sneed cosplay. Yeah. <laughs> go on, do his. Go on, do his line. Do his best line. Hello, I'm Mr. Sneed. Can I? Can I? Can I? Can I help you line. find this Welsh policeman called Andy? <laughs> No, it's too it early for it's too early for Andy. His best line, obviously, the stiffs are getting lively again. Oh, this the the stiffs are getting lively again. That's from, that's from the uh, that's from the version that they couldn't that's show a, to his children. That's called the, the loud version bed. they plan to do after the watershed. This is a fun thing to consider. Where in maybe this could be a fun thing to consider for every episode. If you are allowed to insert the word. F- Precisely once into Ooh, this episode, where would it go? Leaving it, so making confusing. Um, I think as soon as Gwyneth steps in the arch, <laughs> and she dies. <laughs> that would be a good one. It, just ch- it would change the course of the episode. It wouldn't need to have all it that would. last fifteen minutes of faff. It would just, you know, yeah. or maybe a sneeze about to have his neck snapped. That's also good. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think my submission would be uh, the Doctor saying, "Now I'm going to die in a dungeon in Cardiff." <laughs> I think, I think to be honest, the best one would be when the um, Mrs. Don't remember her name, but when the girl f- possessed old lady is in the audience, yeah. and then instead of screaming, she yeah. just lets out one very loud. Charles <laughs> 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 Dickens is like, I've never heard such language before. <laughs> Me, popular author Charles Dickens, if you hadn't got it already. <laughs> I think they probably said Mr. Dickens already at that yeah. point. Had, and Simon yeah. Callow, he says. Yeah, yeah he shouts no, out Simon want Dickens Callow to say, line. I'd want Dickens to say, F***. Yeah. That's going to go... I don't know where's where this could go. It'll go somewhere. <laughs> Hello, people, and welcome to Always Foolish, a positive Doctor Who podcast. It's me, David, and my co-host... Tom. Tom. Hello. I'm pointing kind of off in the direction that you might be. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, I, a long I can't, way away. I can't, I can't sense. I can't sense it, but um, I'm getting the good vibes. Can't, so that's, can't feel that's me all right. Vaguely pointing in your direction to a demise. I mean, if I could, if I could, then that would be an ability that I'd have to like, you know, oh, take to science. Bad ability. It's not very useful. It's just me. We could be used for long distance communication, but to be fair, we've already got long distance communication. It's like these if you're days. stuck in a. Um, like a jail cell though, and you've not got access to anything, but you get the SOS by like just on and off if they're pointing at you. Yeah, or but not. that does require one of us to be stuck in a jail cell and the other one to know exactly where we well, are. You know, some skills and items are only useful in certain scenarios. You know, like yeah, but being this, an explosives yeah. expert is very useful if you're trying to break out of a prison, but less useful if you run an ice cream shop. I don't know. Have you seen Oppenheimer yet? There, there's a bit there yeah. where he's running an ice cream shop and he oh, does really? marvels. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And yeah. Marvel is in it as well. Captain Marvel. Uh, yeah. Very exciting. Uh, no, Oppenheimer plays Captain Marvel. It's uh, a ne- nested stories. Now, listen, on Always Foolish, what we don't do is talk about ice cream shops in Oppenheimer. Well, not always. We take an unpopular episode of Doctor Who, we, we summarise it, and then we highlight the stuff we like, try to address are criticisms or some of the more commonplace criticisms really trying to raise it up and be positive about a fandom and a show that we love and we'll also be bringing you some random tidbits that we discovered along the way does that sound good tom uh yes it does but to be fair i am very much a captive audience here like i've agreed to do this podcast with you so if i said at this point no actually i'm not sure about this then we'd have a real problem on our hands. I actually believe what happened was I had already had this idea and I was going to suggest it to you. And then literally five minutes before I I suggested it to you, you suggested the same idea to me. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, listen, we're both captives of each other in some kind of weird Doctor Master That's the weirdest way you could possibly have said that. I I don't know whether I want this to be a Doctor Master scenario. (laughs) Anyway, this episode, we're doing The Unquiet Dead. Series 1, Episode 3, because we wanted a bit of a challenge, so we're doing something that's a bit more middling. Like People don't hate this episode, yeah. do they, Tom? No, no, I don't think so. I don't think... There are not many people out there, I don't think, that would rate this episode, um, even at the bottom of Series 1. Let's start with 
old reliable Mark Gatiss. So in this episode, Mark Gatiss is writing a story about a writer who just keeps doing the same thing over and over again and is getting <laughs> tired of it. Charles Dickens is Mark Gatiss's self-insert character in this episode. <laughs> that is an amazing criticism with which to bring this up, yeah. I don't think that's what I saw on IMDb. I was reading a really interesting piece of writing by the novelist Zadie Smith recently. Like She's just written a new historical novel. It wasn't originally supposed to have Charles Dickens in it. And then as she did her research, she was like, oh no, Charles Dickens just got involved with literally everything that happened yeah. in the mid-19th century. <laughs> um, Simon Callow, one of the things... So Simon Callow played Charles Dickens in this episode, wasn't sure about taking the role because he didn't want... He felt Dickens was used as a kind of catch-all Victorian person. But it does sort of sound like Charles Dickens was a catch-all Victorian person. Now, um, the question is, did Charles Dickens actually fight zombies in Cardiff near Christmas? Uh, yes. Yeah, that oh, right, historical record is fairly on, reliable on that This episode point, is yeah. based on true historical events. Do you want to summarise the episode briefly, Absol- Tom? Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, so uh, we've got an opening hook that is a zombie attack, which uh, specifically it's in a funeral home. There's a guy called Sneed and there's a girl called Gwyneth, Undertakers, and um, somebody brings a dead person along to them and, oh, my <laughs> goodness, that. that dead person gets reanimated. Gwyneth and Sneed. It's like a crime duo. The old woman who has been reanimated by something that looks like gas just sort of toddles off into the night. And she Doctor screams. and Rose arrive. And it cuts to the credits. Yeah, the old woman goes to a big event that turns out to be Charles Dickens doing a reading of A Christmas Carol. Dickens is uh, obviously quite tired. He's uh, worn out. He's fed up of this whole kind of like speaking tours sort of thing. He's going to die in a year. He doesn't know that. Yeah, well, we don't know that until the end of the episode, unless people are really unless good at knowing details about Charles Dickens' life. Yeah. Um, uh, at the Christmas Carol reading, gas creature within the old zombie woman um, bursts out and swirls around the room. Everybody Goes, uh, reacts in quite an understandable way and leaves. The, doc- the Doctor and Rose show up through for one reason or another, gets chloroformed by Sneed and Gwyneth, and... Uh, taken back to the undertaker's place. Yet yeah, they also grab the old woman. The doctor meets Dickens. They have some charming back and forth um, and chase Sneed and Gwyneth to the house. The Gelth start actually talking, the Gelth being the gas creatures within the old woman, um, which is a is a good moment for the story to sort of change gear and become something a little bit more complicated than just uh, zombies in Cardiff. Typical Saturday night. There's a few scenes with the doctor talking to Dickens about uh, rationality, Gwyneth is psychic. Gwyneth does not seem to know whether or not she wants to hide the fact that she's psychic or not, which is quite funny. Uh, <laughs> oh, like my, she... my grandmother had the gift. Do never speak of the gift. But yeah, yes, she, the gift. She tries, to hi- she tries to hide it from Rose at first and then just goes on a two-minute long monologue about the future. Oh, by the way, you'll be killed by a wolf or something in the future, but I don't know anything about the future. Anyway, then uh, then they have a seance. <laughs> they have a seance then, uh, which, you know, rad, love seances. Yep, the girls show up at the seance. The Doctor delivers the single funniest line of the entire episode, which is the happy medium joke, which is Oh, I don't hilarious. know. I prefer um, Sneed's aside about maybe they can get a cheap exorcism because they, they, like, did the funeral oh, yes. <laughs> for one of the bishop's cousins or something. I did like that as well. Yeah, so then the girls tell... Everybody that they are actually, they've lost their corporeal forms because of the time war. The doctor <gasps> looks a little bit shifty about this. Yeah, good. And what they actually want is just to come and inhabit uh, human corpses and walk around in them because they're not using them. The doctor's like, actually, fair enough. Rose yeah, is like, Rose is uh, like that's disgusting. are you sure about that? And the doctor's like, that's actually, yeah, that's fine. So then uh, Gwyneth opens the rift, which she is apparently a part of, um, yeah. to let the girl through. And then, as she does this, the Gelf then turn out to actually be evil. And the way that this is shown is Whoa. by them turning into red turn demons. Red. Yeah. Some of them turn red. Only, like, one yep. of them turns red. One of them turns red and starts talking in an blue. evil voice and has sharp teeth. Also still gas. Uh, yeah, though. the Gelf possess things. Sneed dies and gets possessed by the Gelf. Lots of zombies in the basement. Dickens just sort of sidles out of the room and runs Dickens around the streets it. of Cardiff for a bit. Uh, the Doctor and Rose get stuck in a... A cell? I'm really not sure why there is a sort of a prison cell in this Undertaker's. Well, it's because he's been expecting this. He's yeah. a prepper. Yeah, maybe. His old sneeze. Yeah, yeah. He's neat as a prepper, yeah. Um, <laughs> then uh, Dickens... Oh, I've got, I've got the bear traps hidden, Gwyneth. <laughs> 
I've got all of the water purification tablets for when society inevitably collapses. Oh, but but Mr. Sneed, I don't know why you can be saying that society will collapse. Here we are in 1869, society is at its finest. (laughs) Dickens has uh, a realisation about the gas. Actually, there there are numerous points throughout this episode where somebody is like, of course, the gas. (laughs) Like when I fart. Dickens fills fills the room with gas, which draws the gelf out into the room. Gwyneth says, don't worry, I'm going to blow these up. Uh, Rose and Dickens run for it. (laughs) Rose says, don't let let Gwyneth sacrifice herself. And the doctor says, I won't. But conveniently enough, Gwyneth turns out to have been dead for the past five minutes or so, despite still talking and doing things. And then she gets some matches, blows up the funeral home, and the gelf are blown up. Then the the final scene is with um, Dickens. He's really reinvigorated. He's regained his sort of lust for life. Perfect timing. He's a changed man. He's quite excited. He announces that the solution to the mystery of Edwin Drood, his great unfinished novel, novel, is that it was actually uh, Blue Elementals that did the killing. However, then the Doctor reveals to Rose that, you know, he's going to die next year anyway, so he's not going to (laughs) accidentally invent an absolutely bizarre brand of sci-fi. Charles Dickens has been listening behind the corner, and that then becomes like a villain arc. Charles, (laughs) Charles Dickens to stop himself dying. Charles Dickens joins the faction. Oh, no, that's not. The faction <laughs> paradox will come up later. They land back in London. And yeah. they're like, wait, everything's devastated. Shink, shink, shink. I have been waiting for you, Doctor. And it's Charles Dickens in like a <laughs> exosuit holding like Jackie aloft. <laughs> Call me the ghost of Christmas that will never come. <laughs> Call me the ghost of Christmas forever. Oh, dear Doctor. Did you have great <laughs> expectations about the future? <laughs> no, I think I've pipped you at the post. <laughs> this is really a Miss Haversham. <laughs> no, no, wait, no. We really are living in hard times these days. <laughs> I bet you didn't expect this, Oliver Twist. Behold, <laughs> 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 my fa- my fay gun. No. Yeah, no, Fagan does work. No. It does work. Fagan. Charles Dickens is the greatest author of his time. I hope his his Gelf ghost is happy with yeah, how we're talking so. about him. You'd uh, hope, you'd I, hope, I you? wonder what Charles Dickens' ghost would have thought of the Unquiet Dead. I bet he would have thought it was fine. I bet he'd have been like, what's the television? Well, that is a good overall summary. So I think it's time Thank to you. get into our top positives for the episode. What are our favourite bits? Our favourite bits... First one, um, we were talking about jokes that we liked before. Mm-hmm. Sneed says where all the activity in the house is, and he's like, oh, it's, it's in the in the morgue. And Rosie goes, oh, it wouldn't have been in the gazebo, would it? And that that really got me. <laughs> I, I love the gazebo line. That stuck in my head. But then, in terms of like a bigger positive in the episode, I think the Gelf are really good. Like, they are. I think the Gelf are brilliant. A classic they're idea. very well realised. Yeah. They uh, look given, cool like, yeah, the budget, budget isn't massive for this, I don't yeah. think. But they don't need to be complicated. They're, no, they're swirling. Gas they're not wholly CGI. They are like when it's a human face, like it is a person that like they recorded and then like added some effects to. It's so it's actually Zoe mm-hmm. Fawn who voiced the he voices the girl, but also voiced the Toclophane. Oh, really? Oh. Uh, yeah, didn't know that. Their biological type is roughly humanoid gas. <laughs> uh, I don't believe there are any other <laughs> roughly humanoid gases on TARDIS Wiki. I think that. The great thing about them is they're making something that's commonplace, or was commonplace at the time at least, gas scary. And that is the the typical Doctor Who thing to do. But also, crucially, and I think this elevates them, they're tied in with the Time War, which brings pathos and consequence to the series and to a villain that otherwise would have just been. And some of the criticisms still were, yeah, one note, monster of the week. Also, I mean, the fact that they use human bodies is, like, again, it's a cool twist. And there was yeah. a plan to kind of just, and this would have been weird, the Doctor and Rose just leave the funeral home, go to the TARDIS, go forward in time to look at what happens if they don't stop yeah. the Gelf. And it's like a world of shambling corpses. It's very like Pyramid of Mars. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I can see why that was mooted. I can also yeah. see why they chose not to do it. It was budget, apparently, but also like it wouldn't have worked. So for the modern series, this is, of course, the first historical episode Yes, uh, in it. So it does make sense that there now are a Rose few points where you can though. see this. Um, that Rose kind of questions the mechanics of time travel at a couple of mm. points. She's like, well, that, yeah. I know that the girl didn't win. The doctor's like, well, never mind. Um, also, at one point, <laughs> Good. Rose 
This is slightly more baffling uh, in the universe. Rose says, hang on a moment, I can't die in the past. And the Doctor's like, what are you talking about? Of course you can. That, I think it's fine it for someone who's never questioned yeah. the mechanics of time travel. I think yeah. the fact that I didn't pick up, now you say it, I'm like, of course they were sort of spelling out yeah. how time travel is going to work. But it didn't occur to me. And that's good. That's, again, mm-hmm. good in the writing. That it feels exactly, natural yeah. enough that I wasn't like, hey, they're giving me the rules. Um, is that one of your positives as well, then? Uh, yes, it is. Yeah. So told my, my pos- so one of my big positives would be that um, basically Mark Gatiss gets quite a lot of stick for, as we mentioned at the start of the episode, kind of doing similar things over and over again. He's got his own quite sort of idiosyncratic stamp on how to write a Doctor Who episode. But also, I think that does make him the perfect person to basically write right at the start of the modern era. He's a pretty safe person. A story hands. that kind of says... This is the sort of stuff that we're going to do. I think Gatiss is the perfect person for this episode. There's slightly um, obvious title drop to his big Finnish audio, Phantasmagoria. I don't remember that at all. Um, I've heard Phantasmagoria, it's been a very long time. In the Christmas Carol reading scene, when the gas comes out, um, somebody says, what is this Phantasmagoria? And then everybody turns to the screen and winks and says, by big Finnish audios. Nicholas Briggs turns to the screen and says, I'm not exec producer here yet, but I will be. And (laughs) honestly, it's going to be absolutely fantastic for my financial portfolio. Now, Phantasmagoria, I remember liking it. It's been a very long time since I've heard it. It is the second ever Doctor Who Big Finish. My my overall point, basically, is that I think that Mark Gatiss is a very good pick to write this episode. It's actually the first... The first non-Russell written episode of the new series as well is hmm. uh, worth noting, because Russell did Rose and End of the World. Rose this is the first, the, world, yeah. the first episode that shows there can be a bit of a variety in tone, because Rose and End of the World, you know, in many ways quite different episodes, but also clearly coming from the same authorial voice. One of the things it's introducing the audience to is not just, here's how a historical story can work in modern Doctor Who. Here's but how also, the format of here's the show how, can yeah, work. Here's how, here's how Doctor Who can be such a varied yeah. show. Before he'd written this, I mean, he'd written um, Beyond the Phantasmagoria Big Finish Audio. He'd done a few of the books, and Nightshade's pretty yes. well regarded. I've not read it, but I've heard the audio. And um, Last of the Gadarene, he'd also written. Yes, I that's him as well, Do you yeah. like Last of the Gadarene? There's a few others that, that he fun. did as well. I think St. Anthony's Fire. It's another one of my positives, and it also comes to how I think the episode could be elevated later. Oh, right, yeah. But Rose's speech at the start, when they're in the TARDIS, so before they've left it, was it you can go back to see days gone yeah. by um, a thousand million sunsets ago. Nobody else can do that. Christmas only happens once. Like, a Christmas day only happens one time. That little line, that little summary, which I've just butchered, is Doctor Who. Like, that is yeah. Doctor Who. It, it, or what Doctor Who would become in the modern era, uh, to a degree, a meditation mm-hmm. on, like, the temporariness of things. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Gators clearly gets the show. He gets it on a very fundamental level. Yeah, yeah, um, which makes sense. Another thing, which I imagine might be a thing you have down as well, Billy and Eve Miles have really, mm-hmm. really, really good chemistry. Yeah, so what I love I've, one thing, one thing I've got in my them. notes is that you can see why Eve Miles was given a spin-off. 100%, um, yeah. Based on this. And to a degree, I think that this episode is the, you know, it's Exhibit A in why Torchwood should be considered Eve Miles' spin-off rather than John Barrowman's spin-off. I mean, I love Eve Miles. I think she's fantastic. Uh, I do have a little story, which is when she went to the audition for this, she accidentally wore a shirt of two naked women kissing with the slogan, <laughs> I support nudist colonies on it. Um, oh, yeah. I'm sure, and... <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure Russell would have absolutely you know, been, can't have this on our family show. This is sacrilege. And you know who we need to play someone sacrilegious in an episode about ghosts? Uh, hmm. No, yeah, I think he loved it. Uh, that is Eve yeah. Miles all over. There's a brilliant story where Big Finish were waiting for her to show up for recording and she was late and they called her and were like, hi Eve, where are you? And she was, she'd forgotten. She was in the car driving her kids on holiday. And she just <laughs> went, oh shit, and turned the car around and drove the kids back. <laughs> she's amazing. She's great. And I mean, she's not now part of the current torture team anymore. Just because the torture team the audio is kind stuff, of, yeah. it's all new and the audios. But yeah. she did have, she had a single episode in the most recent Torchwood series, which was fantastic. But Eve Miles can just endlessly come back. She, she's fantastic. Yeah. And I think basically what they're doing is they're intercutting scenes, pretty much two-handed scenes between Dickens and the Doctor. Yeah. And Eve Miles and Gwyneth. All the performances are really strong in the episodes. It's another exactly, positive yeah. for me. All the guest cast, including um, Alan David as Sneed. Yeah, Sneed gets less excellent. to do. There is it's a slightly 
peculiar quirk of the script that there is a sort of Sneed doesn't really get an awful lot to do in around the sort of 15 minutes until he dies. Like he says a couple of things in the seance, but not very much. But pretty much, he's there to as soon as he's kidnapped. Texture, yeah. I think. But he yeah. does it. He does it really well. Um, Alan David is funny and more sympathetic than I remember because in my head, Sneed's like an all-out villain. But he's not. He's very mm. sympathetic. He's in over his head. Yeah, he's a guy he's of his trying, time. He's like, trying to deal with these problems. I really, really love the completely sort of matter-of-fact way he mm. responds to the gas zombie attack at the start. He's like, oh, not again. Uh, oh, I just... Oh, I, you know, I left the kettle on and then the, the ghost alien things got out of out of the old lady again. Like, when it also, when the old woman at the start uh, strangles her, like, nephew... Yeah. And kills yeah. him. And he's not, there's no point in which he's like, oh no, oh, it's so sad, a human life stopped out. Yeah. He's like, oh, okay, I, I guess, I guess we'll be doing this job for free then. It's <laughs> an undertaker, you know, yeah. an undertaker's not a charity. Yeah. Because, like, actually, you did, you were meant to be donating to the charitable foundation. So, Shut up, Gwyneth. <laughs> but, yeah. um, yeah, Eccleston as well. Eccleston, of course, brilliant. Energy, extremely, extremely good. You can tell he's very excited to be here. I think, yeah. and I think I know he's obviously having trouble behind the scenes and he's not necessarily enjoying himself, but there are moments here where I think I can see Chris Eccleston genuinely enjoying himself when talking to, like, when doing the Charles Dickens stuff. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. Eccleston loves, like, history and he loves, yeah. like, celebrity historicals. It's one of the yeah. things he's requested a lot with Big Finish. He wants to do stuff with usually, like, like suffragettes or founders mm-hmm. of movement. Um, yeah. It's something he really enjoys, especially given, like, Dickens' pedigree for talking about the, the plight of the, the kind poor, of working yeah. classes and the working mm-hmm. poor in Victorian England. It's something Eccleston feels very passionate about. And I think you can you can tell. Yeah, completely agree. The Doctor's role in this story is very similar to how it is throughout Series 1, which is, is something that sets Series 1 really apart from all of the other seasons of the modern series, I think, is that the Doctor's role is to sort of stand on the sidelines and encourage people to do things rather than to really solve the problems himself. And I really like that. I think that that's a brilliant angle to play on the character, and I kind of... It makes sense for We had a little bit more of that. Yeah, exactly. From the time war to good idea to ease him back in. I wonder how much of it is deliberate and how much of it is that's just the kind of style of stories they were telling. I think think this is all very deliberate, and I think that... It's all leading up to parting of the ways where just his absence um, has made Rose, Mickey and Jackie better to the degree that they mm. do something basically physically impossible to rescue him and save everyone in yeah. the future. They hire a tow truck at yeah, short almost physically in impossible, London, which is yeah, incredible. It's, yeah. it's really hard to do, especially mm. the yellow one, because the yellow ones are the coolest ones. Yeah. <laughs> Paint the TARDIS yellow. Russell, I was, I was trying to remember who the new showrunner was. That was like, it's Russell again. <laughs> Paint the Tardis yellow, Russell, you coward. <laughs> Do the happiness big control yellow, yellow this time. All the, imagine all the speeches about a big blue box coming yeah. to save you. But something old, blue something new, yellow. something borrowed, something yellow. <laughs> something yellow. <laughs> it's very different, isn't yeah. it? Something harsh, something mellow. <laughs> something sick, something yellow. <laughs> The whole world was burning and collapsing and everything that I ever knew was gone. And then, out of nothing, a sort of weird yellow box appeared. Like a really horrible off-shade. And I thought, I'm not getting in that anyway. So I died yeah. and that's why I'm here. Uh, he's talking to Missy in the Neversphere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't have any more positives. Uh, I was going to just say the mood, basically. This, the episode absolutely nails the mood of... No, no, the mood is later. The mood, the Victorian Gothic uh, sort of feel of it that is getting a lot of... Oh, it's pioneered by Jago and Lightfoot. Yeah, well, it's, well, it's pioneered <laughs> by, you know, the Victorian era. Yeah, who were created by Jago and Lightfoot. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's set in a funeral home. There's a seance. There's sort of like shambling corpses. I love it's spiritualism It's set as well. on a dark winter's night. The mood, the mood stays really consistent throughout it, and even when, though there there are jokes, which is good, you know, we get the gazebo joke, we get the happy medium joke, which is brilliant. You love that happy medium joke. I love the happy medium. It's not joke. happy medium. It's hilarious. Um, <laughs> but yeah, all of these things they don't sort of detract or undercut from this mood. That's all of my main sort of things I like. There's there's a lot of small things I like as well. 
Okay, one more small thing. I really like the Brecon line where the doctor's like, they're, they're from up there, and he's like, what, from Brecon? <laughs> <laughs> I anyway, like, I um, it is scary in bits. I wouldn't say it's a scary episode. I think the morgue stuff, it is hmm. scary. One of the complaints that you get is that it was too scary for kids. I don't think I don't think I agree with that. It was so scary that a friend of mine didn't watch this episode until like this year. All right. We are prime for a return of the Gelf with Burke and Hare. I want an episode called Burke and Hare and Gelf. I want it. <laughs> Make it happen. Russell. Yeah, that would work well. I think that brings us on to our main critiques and then general criticisms with the episode. The Critics Corner. So my main critiques, and I don't know if these really tie in with any of the ones that... There'll be one of the critiques that I don't actually agree with is that the Gelf are stereo, quite stereotypical Doctor Who villains. I suppose they... I don't yeah. really agree with that because I think their backstory lends them a bit of difference and yeah. also it is episode three exactly, of the revival. Yeah. I think, I think that's it makes sense. Fair enough, yeah. To... You don't necessarily want something amazingly complicated at that You've point. You've just had, like, Cassandra, who's a very odd villain in the previous episode as well yeah uh, but i think you know, that thing i said about rose's speech yeah i think capitalize on that more if you tie it into the idea of people only have one life then you get the desecration of that life by exactly the yeah and they do stuff with a bit with dickens and him being rational and his yeah, and social causes and that does tie into the singular life stuff but i think they can really nail down into the gelf extending life past where it should be and I yeah. think that that's what you don't really get is an explanation for why Gelf possessed bodies kind of repeat things they were going to do. Yeah, that never comes that's up. A, that's a good point. Yeah, and it suggests that there is something remaining of those people yeah. in there. And I don't want an explanation for that. I don't want the Gelf to be like, "Oh, it's this." What's cool is would be if the if the Doctor asks them, "Why did you do that?" and the Gelf say, "We don't know." Yeah, and then and that, then that, that just does gives... sort of then raise a little bit more of a of an actual problem with um, possessing corpses because otherwise it's like, all right, yeah, fair enough. This is yeah. actually and also so bad. It explains Gwyneth's sacrifice more because yes, she's stronger. Exactly, yeah. She's not just a girl possessed body. Mm-hmm. Um, it explains like that the Gelf don't understand why Gwyneth would do what she does. Yeah. They're possessing her, but again, there's this fragmented sort of mysterious non-understanding thing which you can interpret however you want you can interpret as there's a bit of the brain left behind you can interpret as when you possess someone do you become them or the gelf is it actually the gelf take on qualities of humans exactly yeah i think that's a really really that's really good yeah and that sort of ties into two things i was going to bring up actually one of Go them on. was that there is a there's a bit of a through line in this episode to do with faith and religion but it feels like it doesn't quite end up connecting to anything. Um, yes. So Dickens, it's suggested at one point that what he's having at the start is this sort of kind of crisis of faith and almost a crisis of faith in rationality. I don't know, it feels like it pales in uh, comparison to the broader problems that he's having, which is that he's just kind of ill and tired and is like, yeah, thinking... He does I, learn I that aliens are real. Yeah. Quite no, quickly. But, yeah, he does, yeah, and he adjusts quite well to that, uh, broadly <laughs> speaking. But yeah, there's like there's I did, quite I a few there's quite a few real. things, um, particularly in the first half of the episode, to do with religion and faith and things like this, that then doesn't really like once the Gelf turn evil sort of gets forgotten a little bit. So tying it to this um idea of life after death effectively Soul. would be a very effectively Yeah, be a good way to capitalise on that. And then the other thing that I was going to mention, which, um, as you mentioned yourself, is, yeah, Gwyneth's sacrifice doesn't make sense. And not in a sort of, oh, well, you know, we've got to resolve the plot somehow. But it's also, it's irritatingly convenient for ethical reasons that the doctor's like, yeah, I can't let you sacrifice yourself. Oh, wait, no, turns out you're already dead. That's fine. And then leaves. Yeah. And the it slightly bugs me a little bit that... Rose quite reasonably says, well, um, what the heck's going on with that then? And Dickens says, uh, maybe we'll never know. Yeah. <laughs> there are more things the in heaven than like, Horatia. Oh, well, I got there and Gwyneth had a gun, actually, and she was actually just <laughs> blasting the gelf away. And I thought, oh, I don't need to leave there. And she said she turned to me and put on sunglasses. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, okay, Doc, you can stop taking a piss now. Said, okay, cool, but don't ask stupid questions. Yeah, so anyway. Um, um, <laughs> cut to black. 
Hire me, Russell. <laughs> but yeah, so um, yeah, Gwyneth's sacrifice doesn't make too much sense. And to be fair, I'm also not 100% convinced by her backstory and the idea that she's part of the Rift. Yeah, like, the thing with it is, if she's part of the Rift, then surely there so be is loads, everyone else in Loads of people who are part of the Rift. I think, again, it's not like a thing, you don't need to explain everything in super detail, Doctor Who, uh, and they didn't. Uh, I think it's just yeah. make it make it somehow add like a line that makes it more specific to her. It's a problem that I think we're having a lot of Doctor Who things is to avoid any of these like, and they are nitpicky plot you holes, but to, to just avoid them, just add like a line yeah. that just narrows things down. I think also part of the problem with this one is that it's kind of being undermined by what the rift subsequently becomes. I think basically yes, the, the rift in Cardiff, as it is written in this episode, is just a small thing. It is confined to one house. Yeah. There is, I mean, there's a lot of times throughout the episode that Sneed or Gwyneth uh, says something like, oh, the problem's this house. There's something wrong with this house. This yeah, house well, is haunted. Yeah, it's a weak point on the rift, I think, particularly. Yeah. I don't think that area of land's been brought back in any Torchwood, maybe in the books, which I'm not familiar with. But yeah, I think that the issue is Gwyneth's powers are kind of ill-defined. They're from the Rift, but also they're in her family. Yeah, and yeah also... she, can, she can see the future, but can also open the Rift. Yeah. And as I mentioned and at the start, she doesn't the really seem... And girl through her mouth. She doesn't really seem to have decided whether or not she wants people to know that she can yeah. see the future, because she's very, very cagey about it. And it's like, oh, I'm sure I don't know about that. And it's like, also, about the future, it is absolutely crazy yeah. how people can fly around in metal machines. <laughs> Like well, yes, fair enough. To be to be fair, it is absolutely crazy, and I think that broadly speaking, every single time I see an aeroplane, that that there's something wrong with this. Um, You're gonna have a good time on Thursday, then, aren't you? Yeah, I'm gonna have a great time. <laughs> <laughs> every every single moment of the flight, I'm going to be like, "What is happening? What is happening?" I understand it as physics happens. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and therefore. Yeah, you're a scientist. It's okay, I think to be honest, you just—I am. Uh, I'm a. I, I understand that, like, if bees can fly, then planes can do it too. Some yeah. biologist. I think the thing is, if anything, just less explanation of Gwyneth's powers. She's psychic can be enough. That happens in a lot of old Doctor episodes. Yeah, she's just a bit psychic. Uh, obviously, the rift becomes very integral to Doctor Who lore later. Yeah. So. Kind of has to be introduced. Yeah, I don't know. But Gatus wasn't to know that at the time, and like it becomes important again in Boomtown. But also, I think it's worth mentioning that yeah, at the time this was written, Boomtown wasn't planned. Yeah, it was Volcano Day. Yeah, it was supposed to replace Paul Abbott doing something uh, absolutely unhinged Mad. by the sounds of it. Basically, you could instead of having the rift stuff, you just hammer much harder into the spiritualism stuff. And there was it was initially going to be set in like a spiritualism hotel and have yeah. way more characters in it that sort of makes sense why without those characters it might be harder but i really like spiritualism it's something that really interests me like the era yeah. of history and mm-hmm. seances and the various practices and the mediums and you can just tap into that more without exactly, yeah. needing i mean it could well lift. be a case of um the girl basically access the world through gwyneth and through her psychic abilities rather than needing to posit the rift yeah and i think those little tweaks would i would say like bring the episode into focus if you imagine the episode's a little bit blurry yeah. and it just focuses it a little bit more in ways a good episode and it still it still works yeah. it's just a bit little bit hand wavy but not in the in the doctor who way that's like i like that but in like the kind of i think yeah they kind of maybe wrote themselves into a bit of a corner kind of way yeah exactly and um, there's there's a couple of other bits in this as well where it does feel like oh well that's yeah, this makes something in the region of sense, but not necessarily sense per yeah, se. I've got like, one like that as well. Dick, Dickens' grand plan about filling the room with gas, which draws them all out, <laughs> is... kills the Doctor and Rose, yeah. cuts them back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> History will record that Charles Dickens died a mysterious death in a gas-filled cellar in Cardiff no, 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 for no, no good reason. History will record that Charles Dickens died in prison, having murdered two people, <laughs> two English people in a basement in Cardiff with gas, <laughs> is what history will record. And possibly two others, because there are two other bodies in there. Well, we're, I mean, there's three, I think. There's Sneed, Mrs. Redruth, and the uh, the young guy and as well. Gwyneth. And also Gwyneth is there as well, to be fair, yeah. That's a very I want the thing. sequel of a police officer investigating the death of the nephew. 
Who, by the way, oh, in the yeah, scene Welsh where police Dan, officer, yeah, all right, yeah, oh, <laughs> Welsh police officer from maybe the future called maybe yeah. Andy, yeah. Okay, so I reckon probably just a couple things left. Uh, I think you name it as it was originally titled. My name's Dickens. Dot dot dot. Charles Dickens. I that was. I, I think keep that yeah, title. I'm, Better title than by dead. It is, it is funny that you should say that, actually, because that is something else I did want to mention, that right. this is like this is the, the modern series' first celebrity historical. Yeah, this episode is, in some ways, it's built around, oh, it's Charles Dickens confronting ghosts at Christmas time, as mm-hmm. Donna will later say. Um, and it's followed up with then, in series three, we've got celebrity historical about a famous writer. We've got Shakespeare. In series four, we've got a celebrity historical about a famous writer, um, Agatha Christie. Series five, we've got a celebrity historical about a famous artist of a different kind, in Vincent van Gogh. But series so six got a celebrity historical with, about a small boy that owns dolls. There's an interesting way in famous which this George, differs from the other ones. Right, the Unquiet Dead doesn't really revolve around Dickens being a writer. Or like being Shakespeare there, Code, really. Shakespeare Code is about Shakespeare's powers as a writer. Mm. Um, Unicorn, uh, Unicorn and the Wasp, the Wasp is about, is about, is about Agatha Christie's Agatha structure books. of her stories. Yeah, and um, Vincent and the Doctor is about how Vincent van Gogh struggles the world. Yeah, Dickens's presence is kind of more more sort of thematic than, or it doesn't drive the plot. I mean, that's all right. That's not a criticism. Not everything in a story has to be there for plot. You know, it's a criticism, quote unquote, criticism. Often annoys me is oh this doesn't add anything to yeah. the plot or something because it's like, stories it's a are very far more Twitter than just criticism. A... It's people yeah criticism are very good. Um, Thank you. Yeah, these criticisms of I am I am annoyed because I didn't like this episode for either legitimately I sat down and watched it didn't enjoy it or I have vested interest in not liking this thing, and so I'm gonna find things I don't like. Like I'm gonna look. Yeah. For stuff, not stuff that actually doesn't work for me, but just stuff that I know I can criticise because I can make a point about it. Yeah. And that that kind of stuff, yeah, it doesn't add anything to the plot. The same with, oh, they've run out of ideas, where a lot of the time it's more, this is an idea you don't like. Because the fact that they're making yes. something that isn't identical to something before it... That would be running out of ideas. ...means that they haven't run out of ideas. And even like just stuff that jumps the shark, that's not running out of ideas... You've still got more ideas. The idea is just yeah. getting progressively dumber and dumber. And I think, actually, to be honest, now, if they didn't do enough with Charles Dickens, that's a different criticism. But actually, I think, I think they do they a fair do. amount of him, yeah. And a yeah. lot of character work and a lot of stuff with him and the Doctor that I think is really nice, but not yeah. not soppy. Yeah, I quite like that it's engaging more with Dickens as a person rather than Dickens as the legend of Dickens. Yeah, yeah. Um, like Shakespeare Code, which we will definitely get to at some point, is about Shakespeare as the mythologised figure of Shakespeare for almost all yeah, of those yeah. runtime. Hey, There's nonny, a nonny. couple of points where you see the the human within, but for the most part it is about yeah. Shakespeare with a capital S. And for that, don't, I no, would recommend... No, don't, say, don't, don't, don't say what you're going to say. I know what you're no, going to say. No, I'm not say. going to say that. I'm not <laughs> going to say I recommend... Say the Big the... Finish episode, The Kingmaker. I'm actually not going to say Big Finish episode, The Kingmaker. I'm going to say the Big Finish episode, whose name I don't remember, from the fifth <laughs> series of the audios they did with David Bradley as the first Doctor, which is mainly okay, well, about Jude, Jude Shakespeare, Judith Shakespeare, but okay. has Shakespeare in it as like a dude who's struggling to afford to like pay his actors and like put his plays yeah. on. And it's it's mm-hmm. a pure historical and it's much more about the actual like day-to-day difficulty Shakespeare has yeah. as a dude rather than, yeah, magic magic word witches. And I like the Canyon yeah. Knights, but yeah, um, it's that will offer you more. The Kingmaker will not offer you a more realistic take on Shakespeare. No. <laughs> don't no, actually... I thought that you just wanted to talk about The Kingmaker. <laughs> I don't really remember it very well. Um, I was. I, I need to re-listen to it. And then we could probably do an entire episode on it. Okay, we're not doing episodes on Richard Big Richard III is, is William Shakespeare, is that right? Yep, yeah, and vice versa, I think. <laughs> <But> anyway. <laughs> okay. Let's move on to the big thing. The big thing which is on the Wikipedia page for this episode, it's on the TARDIS wiki, it's quite famous, is author Lawrence Miles, who's best known for doing uh, a lot of the Eighth Doctor adventures, the weird faction yeah. paradoxy stuff. Alien, I haven't Alien Bodies, that. Interference, Interference Part 2, Adventurous Henriette Street, Dead Romance. So basically, he was a to say, Doctor Lawrence Who Miles writer. Wrote a bunch of novels. Some note, but he's quite an... 
Intense dude, acquired yeah. taste. I really like his writing. I think I'd like as, his writing. As a person, I think he's... Um, he's intense. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't know enough about the dude to really say anything. I yeah, don't want to yeah. be yeah rude about him. Uh, oh, but no, absolutely not. I think basically his comments were effectively that this episode is massively xenophobic because what it is is the girl fought immigrants and the doctor well, ref- is like refugees, no immigration refugees, and refugees from the war. yeah immigration is bad they must be destroyed uh, and then yeah and to be well, fair it is it, a bit one of those Doctor Who genocides yeah. where he laughs a bit the doctor yeah but well, there's a it's a little bit more. There's a bit more to Miles' criticism than that, really, which is that the argument between Rose and the Doctor over whether the Gelf should be allowed to come to Earth um, is one where the Doctor sort of seems to win the argument, but then the Gelf end up proving Rose right that they are dangerous and they are coming to Earth with, you know, bad intentions and are trying to just take us over. Which is a tale as old as time in Doctor Who, to be fair. (laughs) It is, but, well, that doesn't doesn't exempt it from criticism. No, no, no. Close Vax was a perfect episode, though, so... Yeah. I, I like, uh, like Close yeah. Vax. So, <laughs> in some ways, it is a fair criticism. The way that Lawrence Miles is, is I think, deliberately yeah. inflammatory. And um, there's an, another essay by Elizabeth Sandifer sort of re- responding to this, where she makes the quite good point that even if you can read the episode in this way, clearly that's not the way that the episode yeah. is supposed to be read because nothing else about it suggests that it is a UKIP screed. Yeah. It would be very, very difficult to watch The Unquiet Dead and come away from it thinking, oh, I guess this episode is endorsed, is like uncritically endorsing UKIP. As a, yeah, as an eight-year-old child, I started this episode having hope for the future and I come away full, dressed in full purple uh, with a Nigel Farage I just want my blue mask. passport. I just all I wanted my blue play should be purple and yellow, the colours of the best political party, UKIP. No one take this out of context. Um, I mean, obviously, <laughs> it goes without saying, but I must say anyway. Xenophobia is bad. Yeah, always foolish. Officially stands does not stand with xenophobia. <laughs> always foolish. Always foolish's official stance, if you can believe it, is that xenophobia is bad. You can quote yeah, us on that. Can- yeah, you can put that on your website headers. You can put anyway. Yeah, please. Um, and I think you can make the Gelf a bit more sympathetic and maybe destroyed a bit more reluctantly and have the Doctor yet yeah, not kind of laugh off, potentially wiping out an entire species, which is a Doctor Who thing pointed out in a very, yeah. very good Alistair Beckett King sketch. But ultimately, and this is the case with, I think, a lot of these kind of, not all criticisms of this stuff, but in Doctor Who, I would say a lot of them, is reading too much into what is like a writing choice that maybe doesn't like yeah there are nar- there are narrative shortcuts here taken which is oh the Gelf the girls do need to end up being evil because yeah. the the third episode of a new series is not the time to be uh, to introduce the idea that actually now all human corpses are piloted around by gas creatures. <laughs> That's fine. It would have been amazing if they revealed like there were celebrities, if it, it turns out the girl were good, and then it just cuts to like celebrities in, in our time who, who were actually yeah. girl-possessed Victorian corpses. Yeah. Bruce Princess Forsyth's Di- been alive Diana. for 300 years. Princess Diana. <laughs> Princess That's why she has Diana, dying her when name. She did, when, yeah, when she died, a girl took over. Anyway. Um... And now she became Camilla? <laughs> it's clear that, yeah, the Gelf need to end up being evil. So arguably being aware of this possible subtext from the get-go, something that the production team could have done. Mm. There is something else yeah, that... Which Miles um, argued, and I think I think there's something yeah. in that. You know, you should you should try and see if your you script need to be aware of your from subtext. another angle. Yeah, fair enough. This subtext is there. It is bad. It means that the episode can be read in an unpleasant way, and it does also weaken bits of the episode as well. The, I, I think that the um, the reveal that the Gelth are evil, well, it, it's not very good as it stands, partially because it is um, done in the most cliched way of angel figures turned into red demon figures with sharp teeth and talking evil voices, but also because uh, when I rewatched it, it did feel like a moment at which the story became discernibly a little bit less interesting. Yeah, and actually, here's a way... The the story set up an interesting moral debate and then sort of just backed out of it by saying, but actually this is irrelevant because they're evil anyway. Again, I think it's one of those things where Doctor Who is 
annoyingly sometimes like that flat line has a bit of that as well where it just becomes destroy them one thing they can do that would immediately i mean i don't know if it would make it better or worse but the gulf i think this specifically says five million of them so the gulf could be like we are taking five million we're not going to kill anyone else we want our bodies and you're a time lord and you have no right to tell us yeah what to do in this regard we are only gonna we're gonna do what we have to to survive if you make it more like that i mean then again you're setting up like pretty early in the series like that's a really great like episode nine where the doctor has to do something like that and he does have to stop them but it is like yeah i'm i feel really bad for stopping them that could have been a really good goes to one thing I was going to suggest, uh, shift the focus slightly so that the reason the Doctor's supporting the Gelf coming to Earth isn't because uh, morally and ethically speaking that is the correct argument, but if we were to shift it to be a little bit more about the Doctor's survivor's guilt and the fact that the yeah. Doctor is, as soon as he hears the words Time War, he's like, oh right, this is my fault, I need to, I need to do something about this. Now, now I'm going to say that out loud, maybe that's slightly the wrong choice for episode three as well because you do still yes, have to have right? that mystery around the time war exactly it's episode the thing is it's got episode three syndrome in that it it has to be fairly like this is how a historical doctor episode is going to work mm-hmm. uh, and early in the series syndrome anyway not just early in the revival these kind of stories where generally speaking where stuff can kind of be flipped on its head serve better kind of midway through the season to add exactly yeah. some dramatic tension to secondary things like i i think an episode in which chris jackson has to reluctantly stop the gelf because he they're going to cause too much damage to history mm-hmm. and too much damage to people he recognizes that ultimately this situation is an is sort of massively of his own making mm-hmm. that's a really great like, one where a, you can come away with it to do, but you're right it's yeah. hard to do that it's in too early and you can three. come away with it and you can come away from that as well this is the thing, again, with Doctor Who. People like to watch these shows and be like, well, the show is saying that the Doctor is right. And yeah. therefore I disagree. But no, 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 no. Doctor Who often leaves it up to interpretation as to whether or not the actions of the characters are right. And that would be a really good one to be like, mm-hmm. was the Doctor right to do that? You know, Rose could be left uncertain and not sure. And it's interesting. I didn't expect the discussion to go this deep on this, but it, it is interesting. And I think it's something we'll see again and again. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different ways to do The Unquiet Dead, and I think it kind of depends on the question of, do you want this to be episode three, first ever modern series, historical, introduce people to the ground rules, or do you want it to be something with quite a lot of um, philosophical heft to it, where it's arguing about what rights do corpses have? The point that Rose doesn't make in the ethical debate is... You know, the corpses did not give consent for their bodies to be used as flesh puppets for gas aliens. But Gwyneth does. Yeah, Gwyneth does, which is which is interesting. Which could have been, again, used, again, interestingly in this thing. Yeah. I think you probably need a two-parter. And maybe, yeah, effectively I don't know how what we've done is come, to do this amount yeah. of stuff is... All of this is going to end episode. up with something with the sort of the moral complexity <laughs> of, like, of Zygon, Zygon invasion maybe. inversion. Yeah, yeah. I bet we're going to be referencing a lot because it is, in some ways, I think is the gold standard of how to do an episode that goes from big sci-fi hook to just sort of people talking about big ideas. It'll be an interesting also, one. Also, to be fair, because... I think it's a, very, it's a very Peter Harness thing in general, really, because... Anyway, so that was a became quite a complex discussion on The Unquiet yeah, Dead. Yeah, I think but I so, think yeah. Those kind of moral debatey tweaks would elevate it, but it's already a solid enough story. Yeah, exactly. 7.5 out of 10 on IMDb. And actually, do you know what? I reckon it's a strength for the episode that we're basically suggesting the addition of a handful of lines and a kind of twist to the morality within it. But the overall structure stays the same and it becomes a much more philosophical muse, which is a strength to the episode that it doesn't require an entire overhaul ripping out to become something that could be seen as a meditation on something. Yeah, I think, yeah, the actual sort of, like, the story of the episode, by which I mean the stuff that I would say 95% of the audience watch Doctor Who for, we're just part of the weird 5% who will be like, well, what's the what's the message of this? Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, we're not normal in the slightest here. How can I put Sergeant Andy in this? 
Okay, yeah, that's an entirely different question. <laughs> it's just <laughs> a question I ask. No one else yeah. asks that question. But yeah, it is very much to the benefit of, to the credit of Unquiet Dead, I should say, that the changes we want to make are just add some more stuff in to sort some smaller things out. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's the sort of episode that I don't think is going to appear at the top of very many people's lists because no. it is in some ways it's a bread and butter episode but the thing about bread and butter is that you know it's a staple for a reason it's nice dip it in some soup ah oh, dip it in some tomato soup the tomato soup is like i don't know um rose rose is like tomato soup it's pretty good yeah, maybe, but you know it's not as good as the main which is like pine rose yeah, you're kind of grinding black pepper over it, which is the end of the world, maybe. It's spice, but then you get well, to the I don't, I don't, But for me, black pepper is very much the long game of of foods. Oh, do you not like black pepper? <laughs> no, I love the long game. No, yeah, I don't <laughs> like black pepper. <laughs> I like both black pepper and the long game. Whoa. That's a, oh, that is a, I, mean, I don't think we can go any further yeah. than that. That's the darkest opinion. Uh, next time on Always Foolish, fear her. Fear her. Oh yeah. boy, we're starting strong. <laughs> I appreciate it. Bit of a U-turn. But hey, I've got places to be. Uh, I've got to go possess some bodies. And I've got um, I've got to go and have a crisis of rationality where I start thinking, what should my next novel be? What if it's actually just <laughs> zombies? Just Actually, just zombies. Not even anything else. Just, yeah. It's called <laughs> just, just Zombies by Charles Dickens. Yeah. It is, you know, it's the, the great historical tragedy at the end of this episode is that Charles Dickens yeah. does not then go and write World War Z, uh, which I think would have been a real evolution. I love style. that you pronounced it World War Z, not World yeah, War Z. No, Even though I think the guy that wrote it is English, um, yep. so it is World War Z. Well, it, also I'm going to call it World War Z, no matter who wrote it. <laughs> would he put a character in it, though, played by Peter Capaldi? He would say, brackets, this will be played by actor Peter Capaldi, close brackets, um, who is a Who doctor. Would it? Yeah, would, yeah, would yeah, Charles Dick, yes, yeah, Charles Dickens. Would Charles Dickens do that, do, that, do you think? Yeah, Charles he's met, he's met the doctor and he would, he will think, do you know it'd be great to play, to play this guy I just met in real life? Yeah, an accent <laughs> that won't accent exist that's not been born 2,000 years. years. Yeah. Uh, how old did you say? I think I said 2,000. Six. I think I meant 200, <laughs> but... <laughs> 2,000 years. Yeah, Charles... listen, the victim, as a historian, I can confidently say the 19th century is longer ago than people think. It's been the normal amount of years, and then the last year has felt like 1,800 yeah. years. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you can follow us on the Stupid Bird or Stupid X app, whatever it is today, at Foolish Always, and you can also find the next episode right here. In your subscription boxes, assuming you've subscribed. If you haven't, please do subscribe. Please like and rate the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It will really help the show. And yes, thank you so much for listening. Thank you very much and yeah. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.